0: Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. Michael Sundelar, Cropping Systems Extension Educator. Today, I'm going to be joined by Bob Wright. We're going to be talking about insecticide treatments. How are you doing this morning, Bob?
1: Oh, pretty good.
0: So off the top of my head, I have a question is it a good idea or a bad idea when you're making a growth stage fungicide treatment to add a little extra insecticide to clean up the field?
1: Well, there, there's several problems with that. Uh, oftentimes, the timing we, we choose for the fungicide may not correspond to when we have peak numbers or economic numbers of insects, and that can be true of both corn and soybeans. And you talked about using a low low rate, which is often what people do, use a low rate of an insecticide to, quote-unquote, clean up the field. Uh, depending on what insects are present, they might, that, that may not be uh, very effective against the insects that are present. If they're big, bigger insects, or depending on the species you have, a low rate may not uh, kill the pest insects that are
0: present. So there could be a resistance issue with doing this. Uh, if,
1: yeah, over time, over time, you're selecting for resistance. It, it may not occur in one year, but repeated uh, doses of low rates can lead to resistance in the future. You know, we see that with
0: herbicides and true is the same is true with insecticides. And now you, you brought out um, there may not be an economic threshold. So I'm guessing scouting your field when making a decision for an insecticide treatment is important.
1: Right. There's a couple of things. Are the level of insects present likely to cause economic damage if you do nothing? And uh, what are those insects? Uh, That may influence your insecticide choice. And if you have, let's say, large grasshoppers or large caterpillars, that's going to require a higher rate than if they were smaller. And so, if you're making an insecticide decision and you don't know what insects you're targeting, you may not choose the right insecticide or the right rate to be effective.
0: So, what else could go wrong with this treatment? Because uh, I'm, I'm guessing uh, it would kill off your beneficials. Could that cause issues?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the other issue is that uh, if we're using a pyrethroid or organophosphate insecticide, those are pretty broad spectrum pesticides, and they'll kill the plant-feeding insects, but they also will kill the insects that feed on other insects, and uh, the, the plant-feeding insects often can recolonize a field after treatment quicker than the beneficial insects, but we've seen cases in the past where uh, maybe people put out an early, early treatment in corn or soybeans, and then later in the season had had problems with other insects that that came in later and it could be a month later after the insecticide treatment and the grower may not associate that late season problem with what they did earlier, but we've seen instances, uh, particularly in soybeans, I'd say with where we tank mix an insecticide with the last uh, glyphosate or other herbicide application that can You know, that may be in June, but that can lead to problems later in end of July or early August with spider mites or soybean aphids when they were a problem. Uh, Same thing can potentially happen in corn, again, with spider mites, uh, potentially late season aphids or late season caterpillars.
0: So you could actually make an issue when you don't have an issue by doing these treatments.
1: Right. Or at least make it larger. And again, because there's a fair amount of, of time gap between the earlier application and when you have problems later in the season, uh, oftentimes people don't think that what they did earlier uh, may have an impact later in the season. I guess the other, the other issue we have with using an insecticide when we don't have an economic level of insects Uh, you may not get a return on your investment. And uh, oftentimes people talk about, well, the cost of the insecticide is, you know, if you can only, if you could just save one bushel, you'd pay for the cost of the insecticide when we have higher commodity values. Uh, That's assuming you control all the insects present and that you don't cause problems later on in the season by killing off natural enemies. So it's, it's, you know, the economics maybe aren't as simple as some people think.
0: Well, that's, that's just another point to emphasize doing it based off of scouting, Make, making your applications when you reach those thresholds instead of just doing them because it's convenient.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, the counter argument, well, you know, I can't afford to treat twice, treat one, one week for the fungicide or herbicide and wait until the insects build up and maybe that's next week. And, and if you're doing an aerial application you know, there's an added cost of the applicator. So that, that's the counter argument that growers may have when they're thinking. Uh, but it's, it's not a simple, simple situation usually, but uh, you need to get all the data possible in terms of actually what insects are present, what levels they are, what stages they are, and that should inform your insecticide the choice and selection.
0: And that should all be a part of your integrated pest management plan to start with.
1: Right. And I guess, and part of that is knowing what the common insects are in your area, uh, what what their seasonality is, when are they likely to occur. We have some, some tools that we can use either degree day models, like for Western bean cutworm. We monitor for a lot of the economically important moths with light traps, and that give us some advanced warning of when Insects are likely to be a problem, and we have that available online. Our light trap data from four locations across the state, so that's something to check also. So you're aware of what's going on, and then uh, check the CropWatch.UNL.EDU newsletter. As outbreaks of insects occur, we'll report that, and either that or either through the CropWatch newsletter or through their Twitter feed. Uh, or individual specialists and educators often report what they're seeing in the field. So there's ways to monitor what's going on. I guess the other, the other thing, if you're not willing to scout yourself, uh, we have a lot of independent crop consultants working in Nebraska who can help monitor what's going on in the field and give you uh, tailored recommendations for your field conditions in that, that area.
0: We talked about scouting what, what should we be looking for or what should we be scouting or keeping an eye out for right now in the season? And where should we be looking to? Cause it may not be our fields that we're looking at.
1: Well, we have a, a variety of caterpillars in soybeans right now. Most of them are not e- at economic levels, but there's something to watch for. Uh, we're seeing some level of grasshoppers in some areas I've heard concerns about they may cause, they may clip the pods. Uh, One thing we often see with that is that there, there may be natural abortion of the soybean pod that that drops, especially when we have water stressed uh, crops, which we do in some areas. Uh, Some people blame that on grasshoppers. Uh, uh, It may be natural pod abortion as well. So that's another uh, complication. Uh, late in the season, we can see spider mites and they they can be flared by earlier season uh, pesticide or insecticide applications that kill off. There are predatory mites that feed on sp- the plant feeding spider mites, as well as uh, some species of lady beetles, uh, green lacewing larvae, surfeit fly larvae, and uh other general predators that will feed on uh, spider mites on both corn and soybeans that we, if we suppress those and we have hot dry conditions uh, and water stress plants, that's where that'll favor spider mite growth.
0: So you briefly brought up grasshoppers. Where are you scouting for grasshoppers? Are you scouting in your bean field or are you looking at your field borders?
1: Well, I guess I'd do both, but in some, it varies our grasshopper population seem to be pretty spotty this year. I was out uh, at Wilcox for the soybean management field day. They had some about half-grown grasshopper nymphs in the in the soybean field. At that point, they had already migrated out of the field borders uh, earlier in the season. They hatch out in field borders or non-tilled areas, nearby pastures or or grassy. If you have Bromegrass grass waterways or roadsides, that often is the initial source of grasshoppers. Earlier in the season, if you can control them before they get into the field, that's the best option when they're small. I think in many cases, the grasshoppers have, have moved into the, the crop fields by now. Uh, they may be more abundant in the on the border. And if you're using a ground application, you can maybe restrict your application and save some money to where they're most abundant. All
0: right. Are there any other uh, insect pests that we should be aware of?
1: No, I guess the main thing, again, there's, there can be some other, other insects that move into, I guess the, a big thing to watch for as we go further in the season is later maturing corn and soybeans, either late planted or, or later maturing hybrids or varieties are gonna be attractive to late season insects. As, as uh, early maturing corn and soybeans start to turn, turn color and mature, they're gonna be less attractive to insects. And the flying insects, at least uh, the, uh, the beetles, uh, stink bugs, moths, uh, aphids that are winged aphids can migrate and adult grasshoppers can fly around. And they tend to, particularly later in August and early September, they can tend to move around and uh, concentrate in uh, later maturing fields. And that's something to watch for. We see that every year. If you have later planted corn or soybeans or later maturing fields, they can get uh, an increase in populations as surrounding fields die down or reach maturity.
0: So just one question when you say uh, later planted, because I know um, in my area there was about a two week uh, rain out delay. Would that be considered later planting or are we talking about a, a four month delay compared to the average planting date in the area?
1: No, there can be an effect with a two week delay. Those those fields are going to stay green longer than some of the earlier planted fields. So it's, you know, there's a relative factor here, but it'll be more severe if it's a longer delayed planting, but two-week delay you could certainly see some increase later in the season as those, those are the only green plants around
0: wow uh, decisions made early in the year coming back to haunt you has kind of been the theme of this podcast yeah well thank you for joining me bob uh do you have any upcoming program that you would like to announce quickly
1: oh we have the uh, i'm going to be speaking at the uh, the alfalfa and wheat uh, management program that, uh, Nathan Mueller is putting on in Crete. I think it's September 3rd. He's been advertising that, and we haven't had that. This is a new program. So if you grow wheat or alfalfa, we'll have some, uh, in-depth talks about a lot of topics related to that.
0: All right. That sounds good. Well, thank you for joining us, Bob. You have a good growing season.